different. Ah, there we go. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. We're dealing with um, Black Futures, edited by Kimberly Drew and Jenna Worthman. And um, for those of you who, of course, watch me on YouTube can see, if you just listen to me on a podcast, you can't. But we're looking at some of the artwork, and this artwork is, and if you want to see some of these, if you're listening, you want to see them, you're going to have to go to my Patreon, um, patreon.com slash Center. Um, there are black people in the future, Alicia Wormsley, and there's a building with a billboard on top that says there are black people in the future. For those listening, I'm going to show this. Uh, and we're going to talk about it. So I talked a little bit about this in the last podcast and it's do we have a future? Will black people be in the future? And my forecast is kind of bleak because I'm looking at what is. I'm talking to and listening to and dealing with black people of all different groups. Um, Those who have, black people who have a little something, they might make it, but even those people are feeling a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety because in the United States, most black people who have a little something, um, even black people who have a lot of something, your entertainers and your athletes, most of it, that's where it is. Um, the masses look up to them in a way and really rip them apart when they stand up for their class position. We somehow think that black wealthy people are different but they're just as greedy, just as selfish, and really look down on you just as much as white ones do, if not more. But that shouldn't be a surprise because if we're really honest about it, I don't know what has happened to us, but we look down on each other really badly. There's no value. I always say that white conservatives see us as three-fifths human, white liberals see us as four-fifths human, and black people treat each other like two-fifths human. So that's what we are. And um, trying to live life as a whole human being when you're black is almost impossible in this society. It takes so much energy away. Um, That's how come we lose so many good black people. Again, a lot of stress on us. It's not really a lot of space. We have to make the space for ourselves, then live in that space. We have to build our own institutions, our own systems, and then use those systems to function because you don't function in complex societies as an individual. You function as a member of a group. You function in systems and institutions, period. And when you're thoughtful and you try to live as a full human being, it just becomes clunky and, you know, because everybody else is at savage level. So you... you because one of the things about what I said about four-fifths, three-fifths, and two-fifths is we're starting to believe that's what we are. We're starting to believe all we can be 
at most is forfeit. And you look at some of these celebrities that are multimillionaires who have reached $1 billion, they're terrified. They're terrified. So they don't think that they're powerful and strong enough when white people are in the room. And so um, it's because of that that I, I am a little bleak on the future. But if we're going to talk about black people being in the future, here's what we're going to have to do to survive. We're going to have to be more thoughtful. We're going to have to be more conceptual in our living. Because this thoughtlessness, this, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to think about it because I don't want to think about it. And I'm just going to drift through life. For a long time, people rewarded that. The ruling class rewarded that, particularly in black people. Just be mindless. Be mindless drones. Be chattel. And they would pay you very well to do it. To go on the job and be incompetent. But now we're moving into an era where we need to be thoughtful. We're in the information age. We're in the thought age. We're in the intelligence age. Okay, so we need to be thinking. So that's one thing. And when I say think conceptually, we need to understand that there's injustice in the world. And that you have to meet that injustice with justice. There's indifference in the world that leaves people out and you have to meet that with empathy. Not just sympathy or I feel sad, empathy. I'm in that person's shoes. How can we fix it and solve it? Um, We have to meet mediocrity with some creativity. Support creativity. Support people when they come to you. And it don't have to be. And here's another thing. Stop scheming. We want to try to get out of our predicament with schemes. Because we're in a predicament. We're in a pit of just um, pathology that is enormous. But we need to think our way out. Because scheming, just you just dig a deeper hole. And this whole idea that you can invest in something and just make a million dollars and hit, if you want to do that, play lottery. But there is no social lottery. To do social work, you have to do the work. You have to create the institutions. I create content for my institution every day. Because I know if I'm going to be an alternative to the school system, the prison pipeline, the prison system, I have to have content every day. Unless I go away or something like that. So even when you don't see me on podcasts or do a video, I'm creating content. Um, and if you don't see me be doing videos for this channel, I'm doing it for another channel. Um, or I'm creating classes for all go on my Patreon. Or I'm writing a book. Or I'm writing scripts and screenplays. So that we have decent images of ourselves, or at least there's content for producers that have decent images. You have a lot of producers and directors out here that are looking for real content. I have it. Now, you're ignoring it so far, but eventually I'm here. You you can come to me. You can get some real scripts, some real content. I even started writing song lyrics. And... Um, because I wrote, write poetry a lot. And, and, you know, singers have great voices. You have musicians, but no content. Some of the song lyrics are terrible. 
you know, and the people have gotten so accustomed to terrible that they don't even know what good is anymore until they really hear it and say, well, man, man, that's fantastic. And sometimes what um, people at savage level think is fantastic, it's just good. Right. And sometimes it is fantastic and amazing. I recently saw Tank and the Bangers. Oh, man. One of the most important bands of our time. So that's what we have to do if we're going to survive. Be more conceptual in our thinking. Stop scheming. What else are we going to have to do? Um, being conceptual, we understand that institution doesn't mean a big place. It doesn't just mean a school. Institution could be a website. ConAcademy.org is a website. Patreon.com slash Center is an institution. Okay. Um, there are a lot of institutions. And don't look always at the flash and the glitz. What is the content? What is the substance? Can it move me from one point to another? Is it is it beneficial? Um, not just does it give me cash, but does it give me ideas that I can put together to even support and sustain myself? Conceptually, you understand too. There's two ways you can function in society. Sure, you can amass money. You could scheme and hustle your way and amass money. Or you can lean on the powers that be who 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 have taken all the resources and hoarded it and forced some of those resources down. That is, isn't how you vote, how you show up, how you function with institutions in your neighborhood. So one of the big examples is the homeless people sleeping on the on the trains, taking up the seats in the middle of the day, taking up whole cars sometimes in New York City are really revolutionary. They're more revolutionary than those of us who are screaming, yelling, because though I've created an institution, I don't have any patrons on my Patreon. But those people are doing more. And when I was sleeping on the train, I was doing more to be, I was doing a more revolutionary act than creating content. By the way, I was still creating content, sleeping on the train at night. And just creating content in the public library during the day and putting it on the website, building, building. So, um, again, because I understand conceptually, I said, yeah, this is where I need to be. I'm going to sleep on the train and boom. And you force the city to say, well, there's too many of these guys sleeping on the train. Some of them are pushing people on the tracks. Some of them are harassing people and punching them and assaulting people. That's revolutionary work. Now, you feel bad for people who get pushed on the tracks, but this situation was created. It's not natural. That's another thing if you're a conceptual thinker, you'll understand. Poverty is created. So if you want to end poverty, then you just have to stop creating poverty. Period. Um. Poverty is created because you've created a money system. You put walls around resources, food um, and shelter. And you tell people you can't get in that thing. You can't get in that shelter. You can't get that food that's growing on that ground unless you pay me. Then you make sure that only some people um, can go 
and get the paychecks or the resources to get that food. That's creating poverty. Because if you didn't do that, people would just walk up and eat. I remember in Brooklyn, New York, we used to eat blackberries off the tree. There were pear trees in the communities and all of that. You chopped all of those down and you put up trees that actually didn't have any trees for a while, but then you realize you needed trees for for the runoff when it rained. So I remember Mayor Bloomberg planted a lot of trees and none of them were like pear trees or blackberry trees. And so that was something where at least you can get something to eat. They cut those down and put up trees that are useless other than it soaks up water, but it doesn't serve any other purpose. Um, Some young guy told me I was dumb about years ago planting trees and talking about planting trees. I'm some dumb nigga from the projects he called me. It was amazing. Um, I just laughed at him because he doesn't know. Uh, That's another thing. We need to to, to value knowledge. If we're going to be around... Knowledge has to have a value. It has to have a value. It can't just be cash, 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 cash. Because that's... Cash is worth what people believe it's worth. But knowledge is knowledge. It's real. If you know how to do a thing and know how to understand how to do a thing, then it has value. I remember going to Home Depot and taking the plumbing classes and the... Uh, how to put up sheetrock and how to put up um, backsplash, which is basically tile. And I know that. And I've changed rings on my toilet. Twice I did it um, when I was um, living in New Jersey, the house with my ex-wife. So that knowledge, and I still know how to do it. So that knowledge will never leave me. Um, There's value in that. There's value in knowing how to look at things. Even though I have a hard time and it can get depressing at times and it can get anxious at times, I know how to come down off of that because I understand what's going on structurally. I understand it. Um, I understand the game of houseless shelters and uh, vouchers, and I understand the incompetence of mayors and people in those offices and positions. I, I get it. So I function in that and I don't get too anxious with that because I understand the politics and stuff behind it. But again, if black people are going to be around, we're going to have to be way more active in the political work and way more active in the social work. Um, That's just it. And why? When we lived in 2020 and was getting stimulus, we didn't vote for all the people who who were touting UBI. Even though I don't care for Andrew Yang's other policies, maybe you might not care for him, but you should say the hell with that. Any candidate, we're not voting for anyone that's not for UBI. And forget that jobs program. That that don't work for black people in the United States. Because when you make a jobs program, what we end up doing is the most menial job. And that ain't going to work. If I'm on a construction site, I don't want to get paid $25 to hold the, the traffic sign. I want a transferable skill. I want knowledge. And we got to stop saying, hey, man, you know, I get $25 an hour and all I got to do is hold a sign. That's a dangerous job, first of all. Second of all, you're not learning anything. 
that you can use once the building is built, once the construction site is finished. You can't go to another site. And to be honest with you, they don't really need, somebody could just set up cones. They don't really need you to put that sign up. So I can imagine that's going to go away pretty soon. So, no, we want a UBI because automation is taking away jobs from people. It's making humans not as necessary as before. And again, these are things we have to think about. We have to be thoughtful about these things. We should have voted for every person who was for UBI. When Yang was running for mayor, I was like, UBI, he's going to get my vote. Now, nobody wanted to do UBI in New York City because there's a lot of, you know, we have a nonprofit industrial complex. That let's face it, if you just gave homeless people a stipend, um, poor people, which you've made poor, then you can close down all these homeless shelters. They were paying $3,600 a month for me to stay in a, in a, uh, on a cot in a room with a guy who was just dirty. Oh, terrible. And um, there were mice in the place. We were starting to get roaches in the place. In my room, my room was by the kitchen. Now, we tried to keep the places clean. Oh, yeah, two regular house bathrooms, not industrial bathrooms, two regular house bathrooms on each floor. And each floor had anywhere from 15 to 20, 15 to 20 men. So you figure out how that bathrooms were always clogged up. Bathrooms were always stopped up, and they were the nastiest places. I used to use the bathroom in the public library before I would get to the shelter to try to time it, but you couldn't always time it. Um, I kept ammonia with me or bleach, and um, I would ammonia everything when I went in the bathroom, just spray everything down and use it. Um, shower slippers in the shower, all of that kind of stuff. So they were paying $3,600 for me to live there. They gave me a voucher. They're paying 2000 for me to live in this slummy kind of place. But at least it's my place. I have my own bathroom. It's a studio apartment. Um, it's a little slummy. The people who run it are very incompetent. The management company, very incompetent. So I probably will be out of here soon. Um, so we'll see. Um, but this is the thing. If you just cut all these voucher programs or cut all these programs, just give us $1,400 a month. Even if we can't pay rent with it, we'll work. We'll work it out. I know I was staying in Airbnbs for like a, a thousand a month, usually 1100 a month. Um, and I had my stuff in storage, but I was able to work to make a little extra if I could. And I think that's the way we should live. Give us vouchers. And by the way, if people are irresponsible with their vouchers, then mayors need to take all the money that they're spending on homeless shelters and all that and create hospital-type settings for the mentally ill and the drug addicted and those kinds of things and have them in there with counselors and things like that. And then they can get day passes if they earn them. And the rest of us, families who just 
in transition or whatever can work something out. Because if you have a family of three and each one's getting $1,400, then they can afford an apartment. It would be easy. And you're spending way less. You know how much, I mean, $3,600 a cot. Well, it was $1,800 to $3,600. Someone told me it was $3,600, $1,800 every two weeks because we were in a former hotel. And I kind of believe them. Um, so $3,600 for me, $3,600 for the guy. And you could have paid, New York City could have rented apartments all around the city at market rate and just processed us and sent us to the apartments to live for what they were paying for us to be in these these shelters. But the shelters had uh, social workers, a mental health counselor, director was there. Everybody was on site. And this was a smaller shelter. Security guards. And I'll say the only ones that was good. Well, our housing specialist was good. He was good. But then he left while I was there. The woman who worked in the kitchen was excellent. Our food... Um, and she was licensed too. She treated us like human beings. And that was it. And then I had a mental health counselor that we would talk. And so he was cool. He had some old-fashioned ways, but he was cool. So, again, um, we have to be more reasonable. We have to be more demanding. We have to be, if black people are going to be around in the future, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to just be more demanding and um, more thoughtful, more conceptual in our living. Um, this is the way out. And if we're not going to do that, we're not going to be around. Uh, things like our health. And I see more of us are starting to take health into our own hands, which is a really, really good thing. I, I, I am happy about that. Eating better, trying to exercise more. Um, we're under a lot of stress and there's a lot of stress eating, but, you know, we're trying. There's a lot of drinking and drugs because there's a lot of things we don't want to face. But I find that if you if you just become more thoughtful and face the things and try to fight back, you get an, 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 an energy boost from that. So me running my institution gives me the same high as someone who has to smoke the weed. Um, has to drink all the alcohol. So I think if we did that, we'd be surprised at what fighting back would do for us and pushing through our fear would do for us. Um, but those are some of the things I think that we have to do if we're going to be around, if we're going to be in the future. Because you just can't speak a thing and say, well, I've spoken and it's going to be. There's going to have to be some work being done. We're going to have to will ourselves through it um, and do work. And um, I'm not sure how many of us are ready to do that. Most of us are like, ah, I can't take being uncomfortable. Just kill me. I hear a lot of black people saying that. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, I just think that we're going to start disappearing and those of us or those of our, our children who can make it will probably be in other communities with Spanish-speaking people, Indian people, white people, if they'll take them in.
we'll see. Um, and hopefully they'll make friends in school and things like that. And that's how they'll push through. Um, or, I mean, maybe we'll wake up. I mean, I never say never. I just don't see it yet. And then just because I don't see it don't mean it's not happening. I just, I just don't see it. Uh, when I walk out, I'm in Queens, a lot of immigrants, um, a lot of Hindus, a lot of Spanish speaking, and they're all functioning and doing things. African people are here too, some. But the black Americans are all nodding out, sleeping in the park, you know, sleeping under trees and uh, sleeping in the subway station. So that's what I see every day because I go for a walk every day. And so that's where my thing comes from. I'm on the train. I'm listening. I'm on the bus. I'm listening. I'm in Manhattan. I'm looking. I just uh, got back from another city. Same thing. Black men wanting the street, sleeping on the street. Every city I've ever been to, the same thing. So are we going to ever deal with that? Or are we just going to shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's just the way it is? And if, if we shrug our shoulders too much, then we're not going to be around. Because we have, we must start creating spaces for ourselves as groups, not just individuals. Okay, because if you do that, then then our population will be counted in individuals. You understand? So it'll be few here, few there. And that's it. So, again, I was dealing with um, Black Future, edited by Kimberly Drew and Jenna Wortham. And um, I think I'm going to do some more from this uh from this book and we have some other books that I'm reading and getting into and uh, we'll do more podcasts and I'm going to try to see Tuesday I think I should be able to do one Tuesday and I might be able to do one Thursday again so we're going to see we're going to push um, oh happy Labor Day to everyone um, take care of yourselves and be safe, okay?